All right. So here at peace, is everything good? Yeah. Everybody give me thumbs up. Um, so here at peace, we're starting this fall off with a series about bodies and embodiment and the spirituality of the body. So I do this with a little trepidation. Uh, it's a weighty topic, um, but I think it's important. So here we go. We here in the West, we do this contradictory thing, which is that we simultaneously deny the body's spiritual spirituality and we dismiss its importance and its relevance to our human experience and spiritual journey. While at the same time, being completely obsessed about how the body appears, how much it weighs, how many calories or macros we ate today, and how many reps it did, and God knows what all else. But we, in this moment, are in a time of battle for the body. As we speak, the battle is raging to decrease the number of bodies incapacitated or killed by COVID-19. The battle is raging to protect black and brown bodies from unjust murder, abuse, erasure, and imprisonment. The battle is right now raging to ensure that every sick body has access to compassionate, evidence-based health care. The battle is raging to ensure the body autonomy of immigrants, the poor, and women. Just this week, we are hearing of investigations into mass hysterectomies being performed on immigrant women without their knowledge or consent and further health and human rights violations in those facilities, um, in immig immigration detention facilities, pardon me. This week, millions of people on the western seaboard cannot breathe due to air pollution caused by wildfires fueled by climate change. Right now, this is the, we're in the battle for the body. Our votes count here. Our adv advocacy counts. Our awareness right now leading up to this election. These are all current issues that are at stake. And this means that we absolutely must learn to take care of ourselves and each other in meaningful ways, right? Because the body needs care and maintenance or else it gets sick and causes suffering. It is a holy gift of a machine that we have a responsibility to steward. But we also must learn to put the body in its proper place of importance. And by this, I mean, you are not your body. You are a spiritual being having an embodied experience. Your body and its level of ability, its appearance, its size, etc., does not determine your worth. There is no need to get up in your ego about your body. And yet, it is the beautiful vessel, the priceless, the scripture says, jar of clay, by which you encounter and experience the world, and from within which... You experience the divine, and this body deserves care and attention. So in this is a paradox, and remember, we know that we're getting close to a big T truth, big T, when a paradox appears, yeah? Okay, the paradox is this. The body is both of high importance 
divinely inspired and inhabited both to God and to our own experience of the world. And it is temporal and it will pass away eventually and it is not worth obsessing over. It is both a temple and a meat sack. Every breath is both a divine gift and as James says in the New Testament, a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. So first off in this conversation, I believe that we must get our theology of the body straight because it affects everything we do going forward. We cannot enact the justice of the community of heaven until we start perceiving the truth about every body, which is that every body, including our own, is a sacred, holy vessel. And this theological journey starts in a very personal place, which is to say right here in our own thought patterns regarding our own bodies. And if you're a follower of Christ, this journey will and should echo out into your politics and practice. Yes? So our theology of the body is our theology of love, and that includes self-love. And how we speak to and treat our own bodies informs how we speak to and treat other people. Compassion for our own bodies begets compassion for the bodies of other people. Acceptance of our own bodies makes way for us to practice acceptance of other bodies. But also, our bodies are part of the whole and we value caring for and loving our own selves as part of a larger ecosystem of connected beings. Yes? This is why I wanted to call our attention to these two passages of scripture today that were read just now by Kristen and Paige. In these, we hear two seemingly paradoxical messages, both of which can, if we let them, sear straight down to the heart of a healthy theology of the body, okay? In Matthew 6, we hear Christ invite us to stop worrying about the body. Stop worrying about what you will eat or drink. Seek first the commonwealth of heaven. Don't let all your brain bandwidth be consumed with what your body eats, drinks, or wears, for if you do, you will surely miss out on some good news, some good experiences, and some good work. Yeah? In Psalm 139, the absolute sacredness and holiness, the artistry of God that is the body is beautifully affirmed. The psalmist says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This psalm is beautiful body poetry and it affirms the innate and unassailable goodness of the body. It affirms that the divine can be found anywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? It says, where can I flee from your presence? You are here, O God, even inside this conglomeration of tissue and fluid, even in this body, the image of God is found. St. Paul goes on to call the body a temple. That is a place where God dwells. St. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? 
So Jesus, I believe, came to both affirm and destigmatize the body. Jesus came to both assert the spiritual value of the body and assert the mandate to care for bodies well, like to feed them when they're hungry, clothe them when they're cold, heal them when they're sick, and to do away with the hierarchy of the body. Okay? Jesus says, ill and disabled bodies are just as important and valuable as healthy and able bodies. Jesus says, Samaritan or Gentile bodies are just as important and beautiful and valuable as Jewish bodies, which was a really necessary and relevant thing for Jesus to say in the time and place in which he walked. Jesus says, weak bodies are just as important and valuable and have just as much to teach and experience as strong bodies. Jesus says very old and very young bodies are just as important and valuable as regular adult bodies. And I would venture to theorize this, okay? Until we can understand our own bodies as sacred vessels of the divine, we will make little progress in the work of caring for the sacred bodies of the poor, the marginalized, and the politically powerless. We must learn to recognize the spark of divine light inside our own bodies so that we can recognize it in the bodies of others. If we can't give our own bodies appreciation and grace and justice, we surely can't give appreciation and grace or justice to the bodies of others. So learning to listen to and love our own bodies is holy work. Learning to hear the voice of the spirit by way of the gut the skin, the sleep cycle, the menstrual cycle, the illness, the perceived imperfection. This is a spiritual education, my friends. Christianity has denied and oppressed and repressed the body for far too long. And this community, this spiritual community right here, has an opportunity to reclaim the sacredness of the body. I often say we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And the experience is an embodied experience, not to be shunned or repressed, but to be lived fully and embraced and protected. So, raise your hand or sound off in the comments. If you have ever spoken, either aloud or in your head, a negative, shaming, or disparaging comment about your body. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm looking at all my friends on the screen. Okay. From the time we are young, we are embodied. We are, pardon me, we are bombarded with messages about how our bodies are supposed to look. Okay. We're shown airbrushed and photoshopped images of ideal, I'm using air quotes, okay, ideal bodies. And typically these bodies are slim and they're white and they're tallish and sleek skinned and toned and tanned and youthful. And we are taught to idolize perfect bodies. And the messaging we receive tells us that we are inferior if our bodies don't meet these standards. Most of ours don't. These standards, which are Eurocentric and therefore racist, fat phobic, hierarchical, ableist, and oppressive. So we can't talk about body image in today's Western society, I think, 
without talking about body shame. And we can't talk about body shame without talking about diet culture. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. And I've really never thought that I would be taking this aspect of my own personal five years of lived experience and incorporating it into a sermon. But here I am. And I think it's really important. And at the same time, I recognize that it's vulnerable and it's personal and I tread lightly. And I also want to acknowledge that um, this is this is one small sermon and I can't cover all the nuances of um, all the layers that this will bring up. You know, for instance, I can't talk exhaustively about eating disorders or disabilities or, you know, all of the things. There are so many of your um, your experiences that I won't be able to mention here. But it's a start and we can have more discussions later if you want. So here's what I want you to know. Diet culture is inherently hierarchical. And we know how we think about hierarchies around here, right? Hierarchies of all kinds. We believe that they are ego constructs that Christ did not subscribe to. And in fact, all of his actions... The actions of Christ, as recorded in Scripture, were in support of abolishing hierarchies. Okay? Not only is diet culture inherently hierarchical, it's inherently shame-based. Okay? And we live in the age of Brene Brown, and we have no excuse not to know that shame does not work as a tool for justice. We know this. If you don't know this, you can go to the library and grab a Brene Brown book and learn it. We know that shame does not work as a tool for any kind of positive change. It is the worst kind of motivator. Now, I want us to have some perspective, okay? The weight loss and fitness industries are multi-billion dollar industries. The weight loss and weight management diet market size was valued in 2019 at $192.2 billion. $72 of that was in the U.S. alone. And that's not counting the plastic surgery industry or the beauty industry. To put put that in just a little perspective, okay, the tire industry in the U.S. was $18.4 billion in the same year. And the eyeglasses industry was something like $35 billion. So the diet industry wants us to believe that our bodies need to change in order to be acceptable. It wants us to believe that our bodies are not good enough so that they can make a profit, okay? They literally sell us low self-esteem. And diet culture runs on a currency of never good enough. And by and large, our culture has bought it. Okay, did you know that 25% of American women, of American men and 45% of American women are on a diet on any given day? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to diet. I'm not. But I am saying that's a lot of mental, emotional, and financial resources dedicated to an effort that has a very low statistical rate of long-term success. Did you know, here's another one, did you know that 40 to 60% of elementary-aged girls, that's kids ages 6 to 12, are concerned about their weight or about becoming too fat? That's crazy. What are we doing to our children? We're giving them anxiety about their bodies before they've even hit puberty. I have linked, and if you scroll down in the guide, I have linked some eye-opening statistics about diet culture and eating disorders there if you're interested in learning more. So um, in addition to its being an economic force and not an altruistic force, okay, I believe it's also a force of oppression, okay? 
diet culture, weight stigma, fat phobia, sizeism, these are justice issues. And there are many scholars and scientists and thought leaders who are making very convincing connections between diet culture and white supremacy, patriarchy, and racism. They are saying that diet culture is racist. If you have questions, I can't go into it in any more depth, but if you have questions about the the validity of the conclusions that these scholars are coming to, I've included some resources for further reading in the guide. One is entitled Proof That Diet Culture is Racist. But you should also know that people in larger bodies are more likely than any other group to be discriminated against. In fact, weight discrimination is more likely to occur than discrimination based on race, gender, religion, or sexual expression. And it's more likely to affect women. And it's even more likely to affect women of color. Okay? Weight discrimination is like a socially acceptable way to discriminate against and hierarchize human beings. Sorry, I forgot to turn my notifications on. My bad. Okay? And that reality warrants our attention as spiritual people who are working for a just an equitable world. Okay, you might be in your head, you might be thinking she's promoting laziness or she thinks weight loss is wrong or she's enabling bad behavior. No, I want you to move in ways that give you joy and make your body feel good. I want you to eat foods that nourish you and that you enjoy. I want you to be empowered to love the meat sack you're in. I want you to be as well as you can be so that you can join in the work. Because listen, in addition to being a tool of oppression, diet culture, body shaming, is a distraction. We can't be effective ambassadors for the commonwealth of heaven if we're spending all our time obsessing over our bodies, if our faces are stuck in calorie tracker apps, etc. We can't serve two masters. We can't serve both diet culture and Jesus. We can't say, yes, we affirm the sacredness of human life and of human bodies while we are busy picking our own bodies apart and shaming and criticizing them. We can't do the justice work that needs to be done if we're weak from starving ourselves on a 1,200-calorie diet. We have real work to do here in the world. We have real people to advocate for. We have a real planet to save. We have real children to raise and real relationships to foster, and we can't do that very well if half our brain is thinking about how many calories we ate for lunch and how many reps we did today. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, You say everything is allowed, but not everything is beneficial for me. Everything is allowed, but I will not be dominated by anything. You say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but both of those will pass away in the end. The body is for God and God is for the body. God is for the body. So this is not to say that health, being healthy is being bad. No, it's good. Please, please, my friends, foster the health of your body. 
But being preoccupied with being healthy to the point of obsession is a distraction from what's real. And I say this to you as a person who has worked hard in the last five years to come out of diet culture and fat phobia and what is now being called orthorexia, okay? Orthorexia is defined as an eating disorder that involves an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. Kind of a conundrum, right? Okay, I'm saying all this to you as a person who has a master's degree in nutrition and whose previous career path was in the health and wellness industry. I'm saying this to you as a person who's been on countless diets and who has endlessly criticized her own body and who is on an ongoing journey of body acceptance and love. But as a pastor, I'm saying to you, That diet culture is detrimental to our spiritual health. We need to stop hating on our bodies. We need to stop judging each other according to our bodies. We need to stop letting other people tell us how to be beautiful. We need to learn to enjoy embodied experience without letting addiction and obsession derail us from our good work. And we need to stop passively allowing ourselves and others to be discriminated against, often in life-threatening ways, due to their body size or body shape. I need a breath. So... In the guide, I've included a bunch of things, some links to various resources that you can use to learn about connections between diet culture and white supremacy, as I mentioned, about overcoming negative body image, becoming, if not body positive, then at least body neutral. And I encourage you to check those out. I've also included some body positivity affirmations and liturgy that I wrote that you can use. I also want to highly recommend the work of a woman named Cara Lowenthal. She has a podcast called On Bleep Your Brain. Um, If F-bombs bother you, then her podcast is not for you. Scroll on past that. But she offers very practical tools for helping people get out of negative thought patterns about their bodies and into body neutrality and move away from body obsession and into freedom, which is what we want. So I want to sort of end this with a few simple tips. I want to give you a few tips for engaging with your own body in a kinder way. So if you have a pen and paper, I would encourage you to jot them down. They are simple. The first one is, if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, don't say it to yourself. Okay? I hope that you're the kind of friend who, if you heard your best friend, saying mean things about their self, you would stop them. Instead, you would say, no, my friend, you are wonderful. You are perfect just as you are. There is nothing that you have to change about yourself that would make me love you any differently. Be your body's best friend. Number two, simple. Scrub your feed. That means... Get diet culture and body shaming 
out of the books you read, the accounts you follow, the podcasts you listen to, the shows you watch. Instead, follow Body Positive's social media accounts. Read Health at Every Size by Lindo Bacon. Listen to thought leaders who are on a journey of body and self-love in a holistic way. Listen to qualified nutrition professionals who support body positivity and who aren't hawking weight loss strategies. That's, well, that was two. Now here's three. And I think that's, it's the most important. Give more credence to how your body feels than to how it looks. Close your eyes, put your attention into your body and ask it how it feels. Do the butterfly body scan that Aurelia mentioned last week. Is, is she feeling tired? Is she thirsty, hungry, stiff and in need of movement? Let your feelings and your bodily intuition be the guide for what you do. Assume compassion. Your body is your best friend. Be their ally. And my last piece of advice is more about how we speak to other people. Again, it's very simple. And it is this. Don't comment about other people's bodies or weight. Just don't. Teach yourself to notice other things. Don't congratulate or fetishize. Don't critique or compare. Don't say anything that implies their body is better or worse now than it was at some other time or is better or worse than someone else's. Don't imply that people are anything but perfect and lovable just as they are right now. Okay? This is radical work. It goes against the grain of our culture. It is not trendy to stop dogging on your body. It's not trendy to release to resist the latest fad. But it does get easier once we start making these connections between body positivity and justice. And it also gets easier when we have a, a supportive community around us. Jesus accepts and welcomes you body and all, just as you are. You are cocooned in the love of God, every cell of you. And we start with believing that for ourselves so that we can believe it for other people and so that we can help pull other people into the gravity of that acceptance. Your body is good. Care for them well. Speak kindly to them. Listen to them so that you can be part of the good, inclusive, non-hierarchical, life-giving work that God is doing in the world. Amen.